Our Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you uh, seeking that your name uh, would be honored. Lord, um, hallowed be your name. That ought to be our desire and a good thing. Lord, we thank you for your kingdom, that it has come and it is coming. But we thank you for the reign of your son. What a wonderful king he is. And that he would come with a message of grace and peace to us, to reconcile us to you, our dear Father, uh, and to remove the <clears throat> enmity and the judicial wrath and judgment that we so richly deserve, and to make peace, Father, between you and us. Help us to believe and see and experience the reality of that. Lord, at those times and moments when, uh, when anything that we can see with the eye, uh, we see the sin and the depravity and the rebellion and the decay and all of these things. And yet, as the writer of the Hebrews says, uh, we don't see everything subjected under his feet or ours, but we do see him who is made a little lower than the angels, but crowned with glory and honor. We see your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank you. Help us see him more clearly and enable us to be faithful and enable us to pursue the things of your kingdom. We just thank you that we can be part of your body and help us understand your word and uh, build one another up and reach those that, that don't see the glory of your Son. Lord, only you can open their eyes, and we ask that you would do that. We pray for Marge as the days are difficult physically for her, that you make your presence powerful and real to her. <clears throat> we ask the same for our dear sister Frida. Lord, and help us uh, set aside our things uh, to reach out to those who are limited in, in ways of great freedom that we enjoy. Forgive us for taking things for granted. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I think tonight we, we're going to conclude our gospel studies and, Lord willing, go on to the next phase, which will be the history of the early church in the book of Acts. Though we have a few other theological things I'd like to just hit on here tonight. And uh, if you're on page 264, that's a new, a new page. You had 264 last week, but I inserted a paragraph into 264, so you should just discard your 264 from last week, but you might have notes on it, so I can't help you <laughs> with that. Um, but on the upper, upper right, I have a little note there. I came across this in my notes, and I thought this was worthy of putting in the theological discussion part here, is that <clears throat> Jesus speaks of, quote, unquote, my father, but never our father. And it was, um, what is his name? I got it here. No, I don't. It's in, I think it's Edwards, is uh, Luke, the exegetical commentary that I have in Luke. 
that points this out. And I'm just going to read what he says. I have the verse up here, Luke 22, 29. And I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me. And Edward stops and talks about the places here. He uses this as the occasion to talk about the places where Jesus refers to to God as my father. And this is what he says. I have it written down there. Quote, Jesus does not speak of our father, but exclusively of my father. And he lists the references there. And interesting, that first reference, uh, Luke 2.29, 2.49, what do you think that reference is? where Jesus speaks of my Father. This is a Christmas season. You should be able to get this one. <laughs> Luke chapter 2, verse 49. That's, that's when Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem in the temple. And Joseph and Mary did not know where he was. And his response to them was... Did you not know that I would be about my father's business? And that's what Luke 2.49 is. So uh, Edwards here uh, focuses in on when Jesus refers to himself, uh, refers to God as his father. And I'm continuing on quoting there. This is a simple but important observation. The Synoptic Gospels preserve... 51 instances of Jesus calling God Father. And in in 29 instances, he speaks of God as my Father. And in 22, he teaches the disciples about God as your Father, but never does he include himself with the disciples in addressing God as our Father. Never does he do that. He never addresses the disciples, he never addresses God as, with the disciples as our Father. And the only time he refers to God as my Father, he doesn't include anyone else. And the point that Edwards is making is, uh, let me read the rest of what he says. Uh, As our father, this statistic combined with the repeated first-person pronouns in verses 29 through 30 attests to Jesus' unique, messianic, and fivial consciousness. And so the point that he's making there is Jesus is much more than a man. He sustains a very unique relationship to God as his father. And so whenever Jesus says, my father, he never, inclu- he never says our father. He never includes us in that. And uh, that's a significant point when you, when you look at the number of references he's got there. So I wanted just to put that as our last point about high, high Christology in the, in the Gospels. 
So we have a couple other matters of theological importance I thought I would pull out uh, from the latter parts of the gospel. And uh, the first one, we only have two tonight and then we'll finish. Uh, The first one is rather large, probably spend most of our time here. I'm going to go a little bit fast because there's a lot of material here, but stop me, please, if you have questions or I lose you. And so the first matter is this thing we call the covenant of redemption. And as we read the scriptures, especially the gospel of John, we begin to see that each member of the Trinity plays a role in our salvation. There is this division of labor, so to say, and a assignments of different responsibilities to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit. Uh, Different roles, different responsibilities having to do with our salvation. Uh, but But these arrangements are made between the persons of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have responsibility and an arrangement made between the three of them having to do with our salvation. And this has been called a covenant of redemption because everything in the plan of salvation or redemption flows from these commitments between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All aspects of salvation flow from this covenant of redemption between the three members of the Trinity. And it shows up in the Gospels most clearly in the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at that. We'll be outside of John also. but So the plan of salvation cannot be fully understood without seeing the workings of this covenant between the persons of the Godhead. And my approach tonight will be is I'm going to list out seven elements that are in play here between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we're going to look at a bunch of verses. So I'm kind of summarizing what these verses teach ahead of time so you'll see it when we go through them. Uh, And so here are uh, seven things about this covenant of redemption between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. First, before the foundation of the world, the Father has a people in mind whom he intends to save. These people are biblically referred to as the chosen or elect. They are viewed in God's mind as having fallen in sin and in need of being saved. Second, the Father gives these people that He has in mind, the Father gives them to the Son, which means making the Son responsible to save all that the Father gives Him. That's the second thing. Now, the third thing is the father is willing to give his son to this saving work, which involves the son becoming legally responsible for all the father gave him and dying 
under God's judgment in the place of the people the Father gave to the Son. And number three there includes the Father giving the Son a human body. Okay? And so that, that's number three. The Father gives his Son to this work. Number four, the Son willingly accepts the responsibility to do all that's necessary to save all that the Father has given him. He picks up that responsibility to accomplish that. Number five, the Father promises all things needful to the Son to accomplish this work, including incarnating the Son, giving him a body, and giving the Son the promise and authority over the Holy Spirit to quicken and call all the given ones to believe in the Son. Number six, the Holy Spirit is willingly sent by the Son into the world to call, regenerate, sanctify, and gift for the building up of the Son's church. That is the called out ones. Number seven, the Father promises the Son upon faithful completion of his work to be highly exalted and to give him all the nations as his inheritance. (laughs) Those are the seven. uh, This is my summary of the covenant of redemption. uh, There's different lists, but this is how I would summarize it. The, the, The seven aspects of this arrangement between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, this is like the foundation of the plan of salvation, that this is, this is what the foundation actually is. So we're going to look at um, a number of verses now, and we'll see, we'll see these seven things, not necessarily in the order that I've just read them. <clears throat> Now, the thing I must say, yeah, the covenant of redemption between the members of the Trinity was agreed upon before the foundation of the world. Okay, so prior to the foundation of the world, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit perceive and see humanity as already fallen and lost and in sin ever before we were created, right? They see all of that, okay? And, and, they, and they initiate this plan of redemption between the three members of the Trinity. And so these elements outlined are some of the teaching of Scripture of the following passages. So let's, we simply begin with John chapter 6 and uh, <clears throat> around in verse, uh, verse 33. Now, this is a big subject. We're going to go kind of quickly through all this. But so Jesus here now is speaking to a group of Jews, most of them are unbelieving and they're rejecting him. And, you know, this is in John chapter 6 where Jesus has, what has Jesus done just prior to this? What did he do the day before? That's correct. <laughs> Jack, you're right on it. He fed the 5,000 and boy, were they excited, right? And what did they try to do with Jesus the previous day? Make him king. That's right. This is, that's what's in front of the John 6 discourse. But they are not really believing in him. So John 
Jesus confronts them the next day, and this discourse is Jesus confronting them, and it's going to manifest that most all of them are unbelievers. They're not coming to him at this point. And so, uh, and they have this big discussion about the bread of life. Verse 33, for the bread of God, Jesus speaking, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And uh, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. That's a great, great invitation, uh, a great promise. But, you see, he brings up, and he who believes in me what shall never thirst. But I said to you, you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will not cast out. So it's true that many of them are not believing in him, but there are going to be those who do believe in him. And that's his response. You're not believing in me, yet all the ones the Father gives me, what? Will come to me and the wonderful offer, and the one who comes to me, I will no means cast out. And yes, we're on the subject of this subject, of course, relates to election and God's choosing. And people get all tangled up. Well, I don't know whether I'm sure. Hey, you believe in Christ. That's a proof that you're chosen. <laughs> that's your focus. What you're commanded to do and called to do is come to Christ. And if you come to him, you can be sure you're one of the chosen and elect. It's exactly what he's saying in this text. Why? Because all that the Father gives me, what? They come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. So if you come knocking on Jesus' door and say, Lord, save me, (laughs) save me, you'll be saved. So those concepts are in play here. But you see, here we we see this relationship that the Father has given a certain segment of humanity to the Son. Okay, for what I have come down, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who has sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up the last day. See, that's, what, that's being made responsible. See, the Father gives all of these to the Son, and the Son comes down from heaven, comes into, into the world, what? To do the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? That he lose not one of those the Father gave him, meaning made Jesus responsible to save them. See that? Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's, this is this arrangement between the members of the Trinity. And so Jesus is on this mission. And Jesus then defined a mission. The Father defines the mission. And the Father actually defines the mission down to the point of those who will be saved. And he gives them to the Son. And this makes the Son responsible. And the Son says, 
I will do whatever is necessary to raise them up on the last day. Now, that's, this is the beginning for the plan of salvation. Okay? This is the foundation of, of, of God's plan of salvation. So, uh, let's see how far we were, we're going to... We're going to go all the way down to verse 45, so let's keep reading. Um, yeah. This is the will of the Father who sent me, okay, that all he has given me I should lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And what? I will raise him up on the last day. So the, the task of the Son is further explained in verse 40. That everyone who sees the Son, that is, understands the Son, and that understanding leads you to believe in Him, may have everlasting life. That's the will of the Father. And, and Jesus says, and I will what? Raise Him up on the last day. That's eternal life. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread of life, which came down from heaven. And they, and they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, I can't help but stop that. Yeah, that's right. This is Jesus, the son of Joseph. That, that's his humanity. That's correct. But he's more than the incarn is more than human. He's, you see, he, he's he's more than Joseph's son. He's he's God's son, uh, but he is Mary and Joseph's son. And okay, is this not Jesus? We're doing systematic theology tonight, not exegesis. Okay, so we just have to hammer on the systematic theology point. And and uh, you know, I was thinking today, maybe we ought to teach systematic theology again. You know, once every twenty years. It's probably needed. It's been about that long. So I actually, I was, this made me actually think about that, actually. Doing this tonight made me think, you know, maybe sometime we'll, we'll do a systematic theology class, spend a couple years on that. I have it all ready to go because I did do it 20 years ago. I've got like 600 pages of notes. <laughs> so anyways, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? Whose father, whose father and mother we know, how is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Okay? So now we see what? The workings of the Father and the Son. Uh, there's all these people that the Son has to save, that the Father has given him. And they have to come to Jesus in order for them to be saved. Now, how's that going to happen? Well, right here, the way it's going to happen is the Father is going to draw them to the Son to believe in him. See, that's how this is going to happen. The Father's not going to wait around for them to show up. If we understand the doctrine of sin, they'll never show up. You know, this is the illustration I use, and that's why 
you know, the doctrine of sin all usually should come first, but that's not what we're doing tonight. But, but humanity is like this. Uh, th- think you've got this big, big street, big street, you know, and on one side you've got a whole bunch of merchants and you've got the devil and sin and all the sin merchants on, one, on the right-hand side of the street. Okay, and they all have their signs out inviting you to come in. And on the other side of the street... You've got, the, you've got God and Jesus and all the holy things, and they just got their signs up inviting everybody to come into their shop. Okay? And humanity goes on this street, and all that either, all that either side does is just put up their placards and say, come on in here. What is all humanity going to do? They're all going to go to the shops on the right-hand side of the street. Not a one is going to go to the left-hand side of the street. No man seeks after God. <laughs> all are dead in sin. See, that's when you understand mankind's condition in sin, the covenant of redemption and the plan of salvation makes perfect sense. See, the Father's going to save a, a, number, a number like the stars of the heavens. The Father's going to do that. He's going to do that by giving them to the Son. And then what is he going to do? He's going to draw them to come and believe in the Son. Okay? So, so don't argue among yourselves. You're, you're, you're very self-righteous. You think, you, you think you're holding all the cards. And Jesus says, I got news for you. See, we're exegeting again. You're not holding any of the cards. You're not holding any of the cards. Why? Because no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You guys are sitting here thinking you're evaluating me, whether whether, uh, you want to accept me or not. You guys should be humble on your face, hoping there's some way God will accept you. So that's what he says. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's true. And what? I will raise him up on the last day. So uh, let's see. Somebody had their hand up. Let's use the microphone here. It's not a question, but I have to smile at the um, people well-meaning that say they found God. When number one, he was never missing in the first place. <laughs> but they found him. Little do they know that they were drawn to him yes. by the Holy Spirit. Yes. You know, Paul uses this expression about, um, uh, and he actually kind of corrects himself where he says, oh, I wish I could quote it correctly, like, now that you know God, or he says, or better, now that you are known of God or known by God, which is, what, which is parallel to what you're saying. If I could quote the verse, you would see it's even closer. But yes. So, so what we're seeing here tonight is just father, son, different responsibilities that work out uh, the plan of our salvation. So uh, we were going to go, yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll go down to verse 45. Okay, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, 
And I will raise him up on the last day because Jesus is responsible to do that for everyone the Father draws to him. And obviously the ones the Father draws are going to be the ones the Father gave. It's the same group of people. The ones given are the ones drawn. And then Jesus quotes an Old Testament text. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, what? Comes to me. Okay, this is, this is regeneration or new birth, call it what you want. But verse, verse 45 is how the Father draws. And, 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 and the thing about that prophetic statement is everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. When the Father undertakes to teach a man or a woman, the result is they come to Christ. They always come to Christ. That We, call, we have a name for that, effectual calling. <laughs> it's right there in that text. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, or is taught by the Father, comes to me. Okay, so, see, that's the Father now. The Father's going to do this, and they're going to come to the Son. And this is what Father and Son have agreed upon back in eternity past. And the Son has come to do the, fa- the Father's will. So there, uh, <clears throat> okay, let's, that's our first passage. We, we've got quite a few more to go. Uh, John 4.34, so often when we read this verse, we read it very superficially. And that's okay. Our knowledge of Scripture increases. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And what is Jesus in the middle of doing here? He's meeting the Samaritan. Okay, he's already met the Samaritan woman. Right, and and he's going to give them a lesson that the fields are white for harvest. And so, John six that we just read in verses uh, thirty three through forty five gives the light of how to understand this. My food is to do what the will of him who sent me. What is the will of him who sent me? That of all those Samaritans (laughs) that the Father's given to the Son? He goes, I got to save them. (laughs) So start preaching the gospel to them. I got to save them. This is the will of him who sent me to save these Samaritans. Right? That's right. That's what's on Jesus' mind. I'm going to save those from every tribe and tongue and kindred who have been given to me by the Father. That's the will of him who sent me into this world. That's that's how Jesus is viewing this. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. And, And so... Jesus is seeing 
what they planned in eternity is unfolding right there with these Samaritans that are coming to believe in him. So what is Jesus thinking? Oh, my father is drawing these Samaritans to believe in me. They are being taught by God. My father is teaching these Samaritans. I know that. Why? Because they're coming to believe in me. Isn't that? That's wonderful. So, so John 4.34 needs to be expounded in, in, in the light what, what Jesus means when he says, I'm here to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, what chapter does that tie into? 17. When, when Jesus is in that high priestly prayer, what does he say? I have finished the work you have given me to do. So, I just wanted to connect John 4.34 with Jesus' own understanding. Uh, and yes, Jesus always obeys the Father. He, does the, he obeys the law and, and, and obeys God in the moral sense. But in verse 34, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Uh, so, you know, the first time I read that verse, I just thought, well, that just means that Jesus doesn't disobey God like I do. <laughs> so, okay, you're with me on, on those passages? Uh, okay, let's go back to John 6 down here at 64 through uh, <clears throat> the latter part of the chapter. Uh, Okay, uh, Jesus is talking about their unbelief. It is the Spirit, verse 63, the Spirit who, excuse me, <clears throat> Spirit who gives life. But the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and he, he also knew who would betray him. And he said to them, and he said, therefore I, th- therefore I have said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Okay? And he's going back to verse 44 in the context. I said to you, no one can come to me unless he's drawn by the Father. No one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by the Father. Those are the same group of people. Uh, and why he said this to them, that would be more exegetical work and stuff, and we're not going to do that. Um, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, this is a wonderful passage, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Aha. The Father's been teaching, hasn't he? Everyone who is taught by the Father, what? Comes to the Son. Peter is the perfect example of what happens when the Father does what that prophecy said. Peter's gotten it. And, and, if, you, and if you really think, if you think I might be exaggerating, Ah, uh, there's too many things that are flooding my mind at the same time. 
Uh, let's do one at a time. Let's follow this, and then I'll compare this to Matthew 16. So, do you want to go away also? But Simon Peter answered, Thank you, Simon. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe. That's it right there. We have come to believe. That's what Jesus told them earlier. The Jews, he said, this is the work of God. What, what did he tell them? This is the work of God. What was it? That you believe in him whom he has sent. This is equinat. Peter is echoing exactly what Jesus told the crowd to do. We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you? And so forth. And he, and he spoke of, of, uh, uh, of um, <clears throat> Judas. Okay, the other thing Peter recognizes um, do you not want to go away also? But Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? That's the other part. To whom shall we go? Now, that I'm not reading into this passage when I said Peter here is the example of being taught by God. And let me show you that in the, in the Matthew's record of Peter's confession. This is John's record of Peter confessing that Jesus is the Messiah. But Matthew has his record of Peter confessing that Jesus is the Messiah. And you may know where, I, where I'm going. Uh, and it's here in Matthew uh, 16. Um, where is it? Yeah. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said to him, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said this, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, what? For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's John 6, 45. And they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who hears and learns from the Father, what? Comes to me. That's the same doctrine. Matthew and John are teaching the same doctrine here. Right? See that? It's flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven, you see? So in this covenant of redemption, yeah, they're all given to the Son. The only way the Son's going to save them is they have to come to him. That's how it's worked out. And the Father is the one who is going to draw them to the Son. Okay, That's the Father's work and commitment. And then the Son's responsible to carry it on. Uh, okay, so okay, so John, uh, John ten, uh, a few more passages here. John ten twenty four through twenty nine. Uh, 
the same things are in play here. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. Now, who in the world are these sheep? I can tell you who these sheep are. They're the ones the Father gave to the Son. They're his sheep before they believe. They're the Father's sheep. And they belong to him. And the Father's going to save his sheep. And how's the Father going to save his sheep? By giving them to his Son. And so Jesus says, you do not believe in me. Why? Because you're not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep what? Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Okay? If you were of my sheep, you would recognize my voice. You don't believe because you're not of my sheep. See, so often our weak theology has this flipped around, that we become sheep because we believe. That's not the way Jesus taught. We have it flipped. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Yeah, my sheep. Where did Jesus get his sheep? (laughs) The Father entrusted him to be the shepherd of his sheep. That's where Jesus got his sheep. Jesus Jesus did not get his sheep by people believing in him. Jesus got his sheep by the Father giving them to him. Just like any owner of the sheep would do, right? Make the shepherd responsible for the sheep. Here, I give you these sheep. You are responsible for them. Right? So, it's, you know, it's a lot to think through. I, I'm not minimizing how how difficult sometimes uh, coming to understand this can be. And, and I was no exception, but finally, as scripture after scripture, you kind of come around. Uh, Jack, did you have a question? You need the microphone. Hold on, hold on. Use the microphone, please. Can, can we say that uh, in, the, uh, in the Matthew pa- passage, uh, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood and so forth, but my father was in heaven. Yeah. Because, you know, just a very short time after that, they're coming down from the mountain, and he's saying, that'll never happen to you, Lord. And he's saying oh. to him, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Well, but, but in, in Mark, I know there's several things here, and we're, go ahead. Well, Peter is, I mean, Peter's got a few things right, and he's got quite a few things that are still wrong. But the most important thing he's got right, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's got that right. He has repented. Well, sure, he's believed. He, 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 he's believed that Jesus is the Messiah, and he, Jesus has the words of eternal life, and Jesus is the only way that he can be saved, Right. Peter's got that right. He just doesn't quite understand what that means. You know, what what Messiah's work really is, you see. So that's just fine. We all start out that way as Christians. We, you know, we all start out that way. 
You know, we know he's the one and we're trusting in him to save us, but we don't understand a whole bunch of things. And that's the case with Peter. And so, you know, that's on display. But since he's one of Jesus's sheep, he's going to make progress because Jesus is not not going to let him go. Right. It's the will of the father that I bring to glory all that he's given to me, including Peter and Dan and Jack, no matter how many, <coughs> excuse me, no matter how many um, wrong things, you know, we, we do. Does that, does that help, Jack? Okay. So, okay, so where are we? Uh, we were in John chapter 10. Oh, yeah, we, we went off on this, uh, uh, my sheep here, Okay. Uh, let's read a little further. Uh, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And, and this, is, this is talking about, you know, the original conversion experience. That's, that's the discussion here, how, how the conversion experience starts out. Um, so, and, and I give them eternal life, see, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. See, what? This is that commitment to do the Father's will. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Okay? That's right. My Father, verse 29, my Father who has what? Given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Okay? So, okay. So let's go to John 17, uh, verses 1 through 10. So Jesus gives eternal life to all those that are given to him. John 17, 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority, here's the covenant, okay? <laughs> As you have given, as the Father has given Jesus authority over all flesh, that he, the Son, should give eternal life, what? To as many as you have given him. Okay, that's the covenant of redemption. And, uh, and this is eternal life, that, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth, having finished the work which you have given me to do. Now, and now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And that's when that covenant was transacted. Before the world was, I have manifested. Now, now look at how Jesus views his mission. Um, okay. It'd be nice if that was a smooth scroll, wouldn't it? <laughs> be nice if that was for everybody, for teacher and viewer. Um, <clears throat> Sidetrack, sorry. All right. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. 
They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. See? What is he saying? I have fulfilled my responsibilities in this covenant of redemption. That's what he's saying. He's keenly conscious of that. Um, Now, they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given to me, even the message. (laughs) Jesus even gives the message that the Father intends that he gives. I have given them the words, which is why Jesus' words are so important, words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you and they have believed what that you sent me. See, Peter had this correct. <laughs> all right? And we all have to have that correct at the beginning of our conversion experience, that Jesus is the one sent by the Father to save us. And uh, we are to run to him. So I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but, but for those whom you have given me. Why? For they are yours. You know, I remember the first time I read that verse and started to understand it, it was like my eyes popped out of my head. Because <laughs> I didn't have things quite straight. <laughs> and But that statement lines up with everything we've been seeing in John 6 and in John 10. That, that statement makes perfect sense in this whole context. Um, that Jesus is responsible Okay, so uh, I pray, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All right. <clears throat> was that verse 10? I think it was. All And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Okay, they're, they're perfect covenant uh, keepers <laughs> in the covenant of redemption. Now let's uh, now let's look at Hebrews ten. Uh, like I said, this figures so much in the Gospel of John, but um, so why? Oh, there it is. Hebrews ten. Uh, now, this is Old Testament. He's going to quote from the Old Testament some extremely significant things here. For the law, um, having only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. We, we understand what that means. For then they would not, then the offerings, they not, would not have they been ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, this is the Messiah, this is the Son. When he came into the world, Messiah himself says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. 
That is the incarnation. Okay? So, God the Father, part of the covenant of redemption, is he is going to, what? Prepare a body for him. The Son coming into the world doesn't have a body initially, right? This is the eternal Son coming into the world. This is the pre-existent Son. It's going to come into the world. And who's going to give him a body? The Father is. (laughs) The Father is going to prepare a body to be united with the eternal Son of God. That's part of the covenant of redemption. That's how this is going to happen. Who is the you here? The you is, go back, it would be Yahweh, more, more, if, you know, we're quoting, we're quoting from Psalm here. Okay? Yahweh, God, New Testament Father, has prepared a body for the Son. And that's why modalism is just disgusting. <laughs> Anyways, it's a sidetrack. It's not really a sidetrack, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold what I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me what I have come what? To do your will, O God. How many times have we just heard in John 6 and John 10 and John 17? What did Jesus say? I've come to do the Father's will. Here it is, on the pages of the Old Testament in in prophetic form. The Father sends the Son. He comes fully conscious of doing the will of God, his Father. Isn't that amazing? And all of this transaction here, uh, well, no, Let's read a bit. We've got to read a bit further. Uh, Yeah. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them. He's quoting there, from Psalm 40. Nor have pleasure in them, Paran, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. And, And he's talking there the first covenant referring to the Mosaic covenant and the second referring to the new covenant is what he's referring to in that verse. So, um, behold, this is his willingness. This is the son willingly saying what? I am going to be the sacrifice. Bulls and goats, no pleasure. I'm going to be the sacrifice. That's the son saying this before we were created. I've come to do your will. That is, to make an offering that is pleasing to God. 
So that's the workings of this covenant of redemption. We use that title. You see that, you see that transaction. You see the responsibilities here and the willingness of the Son to come. Um, let's see. John 12, 27. Uh, let's jump into that. As Jesus is facing the cross, now, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So, <clears throat> what he's saying here, Jesus came to offer himself which was agreed upon before the world was created. See that? Yeah. What shall I say? Uh, Save me from this hour? No. But for this purpose I came to this hour. The purpose of being that offering that we just read about in Hebrews chapter 10. So that was agreed upon back in this covenant of redemption. That's that's the point. When we understand the plan of salvation in in its biblical dimensions. Now, there's more. The Son is given promises. The Son, who's going to be humiliated, is given promises from the Father to do all of this. And when he accomplishes all of this, that's Isaiah 42 Uh, Verses 1 through 7, Yahweh promises support for the Messiah on his mission to the Gentiles. Behold my servant, whom I uphold my elect, one in whom my soul delights. This is Yahweh talking to the Messiah. The servant here, the messianic servant, this is Isaiah's messianic servant, the one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. Okay? And what happened uh, uh, during uh, the John's baptism, right? What happened when, when John the Baptist baptized Jesus? That's right. This was fulfilled right there. <laughs> okay. The eternal Son of God, going to be incarnated in the flesh. Now he has a human nature. And now God places his spirit on this new one person that's the God-man. It's the fulfillment of this promise. The Father is, this is all part of the covenant agreement between the members of the Trinity in eternity past. I have put my spirit upon him, and what is he going to do? He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. So, no wonder Jesus is not surprised that the Samaritans are coming to believe in him. <laughs> He will bring forth, justice is not condemnation here. Justice is a good thing he's doing for the Gentiles here. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice. Matthew quotes these passages. Nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. He's very humble. A bruised reed, reed, too many R's there. He will not break and Smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail 
nor be discouraged till he have established justice in the earth. Oh, this is a good post-mill text, okay? <laughs> the, I, I shouldn't throw that stuff in, but it really is. You know, I mean, when you study eschatology, you should have the strongest proof for every one of the positions. You should be able to... I mean, I could defend post-mill. post-mill. I, I could. I could make a pretty strong defense, Okay? <laughs> And I would use a text like this. Okay, that's a bonus on, on the side. Uh, side, uh, side trip. What's that? Uh, well, you would have your arguments. I don't think I would be refuted, but and and you don't think you would be. That's because we we don't have, hold the same view. But but you know I you know you got to give me credit. I've pointed out a lot of texts that are good post mill text. So so now you need to you need to point out all mill texts that are good all mill texts. Uh, I know, I know, this is not fair. <laughs> hey, either way, it's good, all right? Christ is on the throne, and he's reigning, and he's building his kingdom. We are in 100% agreement about that, okay? And the nations belong to Christ, uh, so we're, we're, you know, praise God, that's our hope, okay? So, <laughs> so, uh, but, all right, uh, the point of this passage is, in this covenant of redemption, the, the, uh, the, the father is promising the son all things that are needful. Okay, I will put my spirit upon him, and uh, then he is, he is going to not fail. Um, okay, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will, uh, he will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has accomplished justice in the earth and the coastlands, Gentiles, shall wait for his law. He's going to save a multitude of Gentiles. Coastlands is a reference to the Gentiles. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which, and that which comes forward, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk on it. That's quite a title. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. This is Yahweh, okay? See that? Yahweh? I, Yahweh, have called you. Who's this? This is the servant, the messianic servant. I've called you in righteousness. And look at this. And will hold your hand. Okay? Yahweh promises to support the mission of the servant. I will hold your hand, I will keep you, and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not share with another, nor my praise to carved images. Remember what Jesus told the woman at the well? What, what's the father seeking? Worshippers. Worshippers. Father talks to the Samaritan woman and said, the father is seeking worshipers. There you have it right there. Why? I will not give my praise to carved images. The messianic servant is going to solve the problem of human idolatry and people worshiping something other than the true God. That problem will be solved by the messianic servant. And praise God, you and I are part of that solution. 
Okay? So, behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, and his praise, what? From, from Jerusalem? No. His praise from what? The ends of the earth. That's us. We're at the ends of the earth, fulfilling this prophecy. You're in this, okay? You and I are in here. And we gather here in the ends of the earth, and we sing this glorious praise to our God. Uh, I went a little farther than verse 7. <laughs> Excuse me, boy, that sounds bad. Uh, didn't mean to, to, to gross you out there, I'm sorry. Um, I'm not contagious and I didn't have COVID. Okay. You're good. All right. I, you know, I should have said that before I started. You know, maybe if I showed up here and go, where is everybody? I know that wouldn't happen here. I'm making a joke, but it could happen some places. Where is everybody? Oh, no, they think I had COVID and nobody came. Remember, it's called. It, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. All right, so, uh, so what are we showing? We're, we're showing that the Father uh, promises the Son uh, in this covenant. And, and we see that in, in Acts chapter, uh, not Acts, Psalm chapter 2, uh, Psalm 2, 26 through 28. Now this is promises the Father makes to the Son. Uh, and, you know, here it is. Ask of me and what? I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Okay? The Father promises the Son that he is going to inherit all the nations. When he accomplishes this work, not prior, okay? And that's what Matthew 28 is all about. Jesus accomplishes the work and what he said. All authority in heaven and earth have been given unto me. That's the fulfillment of this promise right here. And uh, so the Son now takes the highest station. Jesus takes the highest station. Oh, what joy the sight affords. Now, Acts 2, 26 through 28, um, is also helpful on the covenant of redemption, the promises made to the Son. And let's jump over there to Acts in Acts 2, verse 26 through 28, this is about the, um, oh yeah, this is that the Father, let me get this right, uh, the Son is promised the resurrection, okay? The Son's going to have to die, okay? The Messiah, the son, <laughs> Messiah is incarnated in the human nature, and he's going to have to die. But his resurrection is promised as part of this covenant. And we have that in Acts chapter 2. For David says concerning him, Messiah, For I, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, okay, that I may not be shaken. Okay, he is the Lord at my right hand. This is the Messiah, okay, so the Lord is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Peter is quoting Psalm 16. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. 
Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope. He's going to die. The, the suffering servant's going to die. And yet, he's got this promise that he's going to rest in hope. He's not going to stay dead. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope. Why? For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow my Holy One, your, your Holy One, to see corruption. That's the promise of the Father to the Son who's going to die. That's part of this covenant of redemption. He's going to become the sacrifice and die. The Father promises, I will not leave you in that grave to see corruption. And this is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, uh, going to Psalm 16. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. He's going to return to the Father's presence. That's the prayer in John chapter 17. Glorify me now with the glory which I had with you from the world began. He prays that. He returns to the Father's presence. That was all covenanted and agreed upon in the beginning. That this would be his his reward. One other passage, uh, Acts down here in verses about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Verse 33 through 36. Uh, Peter is still preaching and he's going to explain the phenomenon here of the speaking in tongues. Therefore, being highly exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus, being highly exalted by God, and having received from the Father, what? See that? Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you see and hear. So it's like the Father Father sends the Holy Spirit on an assignment and says, you're now working for the Son. Okay, I don't want to sound vulgar, but but the Father is in the the highest authority in the Trinity, the, the economic Trinity. The Father is in the highest authority. And now the the power and the work of the third person has, the, the Son has received the promise of the Holy Spirit uh, to build his kingdom and to convert his people and to build his church. And so he, Jesus, poured out this, the Holy Spirit, with his manifestations, which you now see and hear. Okay, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Okay, and so this is the promise of the Father to the Son to send uh, to, to give the Son the Holy Spirit. I, I can't, I don't know how to quite word it. Um, so that's part of this covenant of, covenant of redemption. Uh, I already talked about Psalm 2.8. Isaiah 53, 11 through 12 uh, is the, the Son is going to be high, the suffering one's going to be highly exalted. Same with Psalm chapter, Psalm 22. 
the, the suffering one will be highly exalted. And that's all agreed upon uh, in, this, in this covenant. So there. Um, last paragraph, and I'll, and I'll stop. Many misunderstand the plan of salvation as God making the salvation of all men possible, but not ensuring the salvation of any one individual in particular. A correct understanding sees the Father making the Son responsible to save all of those contemplated within this covenant of redemption. The Father knows, owns the sheep before they are gathered into the fold. The Father gives those sheep to the Son who becomes responsible to save each one The Father draws each sheep to the Son who will in no wise cast them out because it is the Father's will that none of his sheep be lost. There, we did it in less than an hour. (laughs) So, I have a quick question. Um, For those that may not understand the importance of all the different covenants. Um, when you say covenant of redemption, you're not um, calling it something that might sound similar with uh, considering it the same as the covenant of grace. Absolutely not. Okay. Just want to make sure. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> if you want to understand the covenant theology of this church, read our statement of faith. Uh, it's, all, it's all summarized there. And there's a paragraph or two on the covenant of redemption. But... Um, yeah, I mean, you don't have to use that term. That term has historically been used because the interactions between the three members is, is, has all the elements of a covenant, okay? There's stipulations, there's conditions, there's work to be done, there's rewards to be gained, all of that. So, that's, so I mean, if you don't like to use the word covenant, uh, I'm, you know, you've got to label stuff. Um, I don't know. That's a good label. I don't know what else to say. You know, what, pardon me? Well, yeah, he uses the term covenant, but I mean, for this particular thing, if you don't want to call it the, the covenant of redemption, I, I don't know. I can't think of a better title myself. Maybe, maybe, there, maybe there is. So, and, uh, and, you know, you don't have to believe in Presbyterian covenant theology. I believe in quite a bit of Presbyterian covenant theology, but you don't have to believe in that to believe in the covenant of redemption. Okay, this matter about the covenant of redemption is not inseparably connected to uh, to uh, Presbyterian covenant theology. Amen. All right? right? Good. Okay. Yeah. So, right. <laughs> so, again, this is the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> it's a little more than the Cliff Notes version, but um, yeah, it's it, we've gone over and. Uh, other comments or questions? I'd be glad to talk with any of you, if you'd like, further and, and, and discuss these things. Um, okay, uh, let's pray. Father, uh, sometimes we, we don't know what to think as you pull the curtain back and you show us in your word all of these things, we thank you for all of your scripture. And uh, 
help us understand them correctly and help us uh, be willing to submit to your word. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit and, and, and how, Lord Jesus, how we need him. And we thank you for the blessing of Pentecost, Lord. And we pray that you pour out such blessing often on your people, on your church, and even you know on our lives, Lord. We thank you for that promise, Lord Jesus, where you prayed and you said that, that those that believe in you from, from their hearts shall flow rivers of, of living water, uh, referring to the Spirit. Lord, we thank you for such a blessing and a promise. And we pray, Lord, for more. Uh, you instructed us, how much more would you not give us the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, Lord, we are asking. <laughs> so, thank you for contemplating not only our salvation in general, but our salvation in particular. In eternity past, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.